Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, a podcast about horror movies and all things tangentially related to horror, horror movies, horror news, and the horror lifestyle. My name is Brett Arnold at Brett Redacted on Twitter.com. My co-host Jesse Hassinger is also on Twitter.com. Twitter.com slash rockmarooned. You will find Jesse Hassinger. We're just two guys talking movies every week. Horror movies generally. Uh, this week, what are we talking about? There isn't one. Or, you know what? There are horror movies that came out this weekend. I think there's a Shutter one that I watched. And there's a low low budget, not Shutter thing called Lovely Dark and Deep. Let's just say... I didn't think any of them were worthy of your attention, listener, so we are not talking about them. If you want to hear... Actually, we didn't even review those on Roger and me. We both watched them and decided, life's too short. We can't review that. Um, There is a good movie out this week. I have no idea how to watch it. It seems like a limited release situation. It's called Cold Meat. It is definitely a horror-tinged thriller, single-location thriller. Uh, about a guy like stuck in a car during a snowstorm, but it has so many twists and turns. And it's actually quite good. So right up top, got a new horror recommendation for you, despite this episode not being about it. We've got Cold Meat. Check out Cold Meat. And this week we're talking about a lot of news. Tons of horror news this week. Tons of industry news this week. We'll talk about all of it. And we'll also talk about Tenet, the Christopher Nolan 2020 film that got a weird release because of COVID. Uh, some theaters were closed when it opened, and then it got uh, a re-release when theaters reopened, but I don't think people were ready to go back yet. So now Tenet, four or three, you know, three and a half or so years from its initial release, is now back in 70 millimeter IMAX uh, for the first time since that other time when it was re-released. <laughs> um, and it's basically because... Nolan kind of throwing his weight around after Oppenheimer because he basically just went to Warner Brothers and was like, hey, why don't you guys do this? And they're like, okay. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yeah, they want want to be in his good graces so bad. After, uh, If you don't know, Christopher Nolan made all his movies at Warner Brothers. And then his last movie, which is the one that's grossed, what, a billion dollars and will probably win Best Picture. That was a universal picture. That was a pass from Warner Brothers. That was, uh, we we don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, they would have tax right off it if, yeah. they, if you made it over there. Uh, so, so Warner Brothers, you know, put out Tenet, I think only in 70 millimeter IMAX. I think regular IMAX theaters are not getting it. If you're lucky enough to live near a 70 millimeter IMAX screen, check it out this week. It we also, will be you talking know about it. Yeah. Some places might be playing it in just regular 70 millimeter, weirdly, because the cinema village, not cinema village, the village east cinemas in New York City 
are playing it a couple times a day, just like a 70 millimeter print. So it might also be coming out in 70 millimeter. If that's probably just as unusual as living near a 70 millimeter. Yeah. Max. I wonder but if you do, you can might be able to see it that way. I wonder if that's just cool programming on their part. Like they saw that it was happening and they booked it. Or if that is part of the this part experience. Of, yeah. It's hard you know to what tell. I mean? It is weird hard to that, tell. It's weird that it's such a small release considering they feel like there's probably some screens up for grabs that they could have gotten it out wider, but. I know Nolan's pitch was like, you have, you know, there's nothing coming out until Dune. So like, give me that week before Dune and, you know, it's a hype up release for Dune. They they attached a Dune part two clip to the front of this and it's in full IMAX 70 millimeter as well. It seems like the clip is on the print. Did you think that as well? The 70 millimeter uh, Dune clip? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the 70 millimeter Dune clip plays before Tenet. So the, the whole thing is kind of like a marketing campaign for Dune uh and wb and jesse and i went and saw tenet at the first show yesterday three o'clock and we got a really cool film strip and i say that because you know i worked at and you know in a projection booth for years i have tons of 35 millimeter film strips trailers whatnot this is the first 70 millimeter imax film strip i've ever seen and it's huge yeah and it's very cool it's neat very neat uh so definitely recommend checking out tenet if you remember, I'm sure we reviewed it back in 2020, Jesse, when you and I and some of your friends went and saw it at a movie theater in Connecticut because we could not see it in New York. Yes. Uh, I had a uh, my opinion was I didn't like it that much. So let's see how much has shifted in the three and a half years and three viewings that I've done on the movie, which it does feel like you kind of need. It's one of those movies that <laughs> it's so it's it's so annoying to say about movies like you got to see it a second time or even a third time. But if, if there ever was a movie that that's true for, I think Tenet is built that way. And Nolan does want to reward repeat viewings. Very interesting experience. Was a blast to see it with the full sold-out crowd in real IMAX yesterday. So why not talk about it? Uh, but before we get into the news, what's going on in Jesse's world? <laughs> uh, you know, Tenet was the uh, third movie in a triple feature, which I haven't done in probably since... Um, uh, maybe I did that with New York film. Fest Is everything okay at home? <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, my, my child was on, <laughs> on school break this week and mm. I didn't realize that when I booked my ticket to see tenant. And then I thought <laughs> in, in for a penny, in for a pound, I'll just, you're uh, like, you're, uh, watch the house, honey. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting, I'm going <laughs> <gotta> to go. <laughs> my wife was working at home. Marissa was working at home. So she graciously said, sure. You just, you can just go out to the movies, uh, for the day. Um, my kid also has a cold, so she wasn't going anywhere. We we actually. It's funny. Get... I bet she said that like just you know go see a movie for the day, and she meant like one. But you're yeah. like the day done, three <laughs> books. See you later. <laughs> it kind of snowballed. I was like, okay, I'm seeing Tenet and three, and I was like, oh, I kind of want I want to see Land of Bad, uh, the Russell Crowe sort of action movie. And then the only time that was really convenient that worked with Tenet for Land of Bad was ten thirty in the morning. Anything else was too late in the day. And then that left me with like an awkward amount of time in between. So I was like, well, I'll just go see Drive-Away Dolls again because it's like playing at the perfect time uh, to yes. see right before Tenet. So I saw Land of Bad and then I just watched two movies I had already seen for a second and third time, respectively. <laughs> okay, um, so yeah, let's run through pride. them. Yeah. What did you but, think of Land of Bad, a movie that... <laughs> I have famously said was Land of Not Bad and <laughs> Land of Decent and I is Land agree. of Watchable. Land, Land of Okay. Um, Land of Okay. <laughs> I, to borrow... Gentleman's a, Three? 
Yeah, a gentleman's three completely out of five. Not yeah, a I mean, like it was. It probably deserves a two and a half, but I, I kind of, yes. I, I was starting to like lose interest towards the end as kind of as it got more action packed and intense. I kind of lost interest. What I found interesting about it was that it's like a guy on on the on behind enemy lines gets left behind and has to find his way back thriller where it's a guy and the guy in the chair and the guy in the chair is like a tenant uh, not a tenant, uh uh what's it called a drone driver yes uh played by russell crowe like in nevada or something like completely yeah yeah removed. he's in vegas yeah he's in vegas yeah. and this other guy is in some other country and they're uh, so he's at the he's at the sports book on his yeah. phone <laughs> yeah. doing drone strikes, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> yeah, basically, and then you get to and you kind of you're going back and forth between their lives, and it's not a lot of for the first hour of it, it's not a lot of artificial suspense. Um, there's both a lot of Liam Hemsworth character uh, in the Lex G parlance messing up uh, because he's <laughs> not that experienced. It's full of messing up, and then Crow is helping him with his drone stuff, and also they, you know, there's not they don't lay it on too thick with their bonding, but they do talk a little bit and, and get to know each other a little bit. And I just found that sort of I just thought it was an interesting angle for this type of movie, especially because this movie kind of movie tends to be pretty jingoistic, rah rah, and it kind of is. Uh, yeah it gets there it has the action scenes that you want and i'd say the action's actually well staged and shot and like it's cool like there's helicopter it's shooting at stuff and it's like okay this is kind of exciting you didn't mention there are two hemsworths in this movie yes because i even though i knew that going in i couldn't pick out which one me neither the The whole movie i watched the whole movie i didn't know who was was like when the fuck is luke getting here yeah it's it's the other one people complain about uh sometimes uh, at least movie nerdy people sometimes complain about um actors being cast as siblings when they don't look alike at all you know or they don't look like they could come with this from yeah the same what parents. about the other side of the coin yeah exactly the, yeah <laughs> this is it's so confusing it's more confusing to me when people who are siblings are cast not as siblings what the fuck is that about like that's that's just bizarre uh but it doesn't matter because i can't write i couldn't pick luke hemsworth out of a lineup apparently so it doesn't i didn't know register if i had not known going in that two hemsworth were in it i wouldn't have even been looking for him um, I mean, I feel like I, I didn't recognize Milo Ventafamilia, whatever his name is, uh, in this movie. Yeah, either. the guy from uh, my credit for him is always Pathology, <laughs> the, the horror movie from 2008 or something. Not the famous book from American fiction, My Pathology. Correct. Um, yeah, <laughs> my I think of him as, I guess yeah. I think of him as uh, Rocky Jr. from uh, from Rocky Balboa. I think it is. Uh, oh my god, I completely forgot that. I, I saw think, that movie. Yeah twice in theaters i liked it so much oh wow yeah well i've only seen it like i only i caught up with it much later so uh, apparently he pops up in creed 2 probably the same yeah yeah he plays rocky jr briefly in in creed 2 um but yeah i thought the movie was i kind of started you know zoning out a little towards the end um but then to get me right back on board they sent russell Russell crowe to the supermarket to get some vegan cheese and i was back in it um Oh, yeah, and that's when a bunch of shit goes down. He has to get back in time. Yeah, right? yeah, and then, like, that seemed dubious to me that he needed to get that, you know, I mean, I guess they they, they construct a reason why he needs to get back there and can't just call. If you think that's dubious, I wish you watched the the faith-based Hillary Swank movie this week <laughs> that has the most preposterous third act that's like supposedly based on a true story that I've ever seen in my life, where, like, a whole town comes together and, like, gets a helicopter in a, hur- a snowstorm to get this kid to get a liver or something. Good it's God. Just, 
it's, I, it's, it's a lot. Part of, I, I don't really miss have being assigned to review faith-based movies on occasion, which is I, I used to do for the AV club. They used to send me as a, as a stringer to go see, you know, uh, I saw like, so like you're not Jewish, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, if they saw me, they test. would be like, we think you might be, but no. <laughs> yeah. If they saw you, it would be over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. They're like, you're, ca- you're, you were raised Catholic. Good enough. Um, yeah. yeah. They would send me to see these things. And most, I'm not sure if the, any of them were ever any good, but I, it was kind of interesting, even though I'm relieved not to have to go see them, to check in on, like, what the status of these things were, like, especially the ones that have real movie stars in them. Like, I saw the one where the kid falls in the tree and then <laughs> it, it cures their uh, ailment. It's, like, with Jennifer Garner's in it and, like, other a couple other stars are in it. Uh, so I was kind of curious about the Hillary Swank one on oh, that level. Oh, uh, Tree Fall. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Treefall. Uh, that is literally what happens in this fucking movie. This kid falls. That's a better into... title than whatever it is. Like yeah. the boy yeah. who lived or something. Yeah. I don't remember what yeah. it's called. It's Miracles from Heaven, which is confusing because there's also Heaven is for Real, which I have not seen. But Heaven is for Real has my favorite not fake name in it uh, because it's a real kid. Uh, the kid in Heaven is for Real is named Colton Burpo. <laughs> Which is one of the, it's like the best Coen Brothers it's a name. Simpsons, a Simpsons character. Right, right, yeah, something like that. Like, I, I just, and then someone made, on um, Twitter, made a fake Colton Burpo account that was so fucking funny. <laughs> it was one of my favorite Twitter accounts ever. Uh, talking about, they we can like, make fun of this kid because he lied about dying or whatever. Right. <laughs> Well, and, the, and the, tw- the Twitter account wasn't even really making fun of him. It was just, like, making fun of the whole idea of the movie. And the yeah. Twitter account, supposedly, you know, from Colton Burrow's point of view, was saying stuff like... It was. It kind of started off just kind of promoting the movie. And then eventually <laughs> transitioned into him going, like, I came back wrong. <laughs> like, all this I stuff. came back wrong. Yeah, all this stuff about, like... Dinner's better, better sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, it was it kind of... It was. Oh, it was so funny. Anyway, I, I was kind of... I had a twinge <laughs> of, like, oh, I kind of was curious about Ordinary Angels just because it has Hillary Swank in it. You, you might... Like, Mark gave it three stars. Like, people okay. are thinking it transcends the faith-based stuff because it doesn't harp on God that much. Uh-huh. And it's more about the power of community. Like, instead of God, it's, like people it's a like uh-huh. community okay, coming together so it's kind of different but like the way the i think the movie's so the way the way i said it to mark i think was it's amazing to render a true story so fake like <laughs> it, like why did you make it so unbelievable because it is a believable true story that they just like crank up every element uh-huh. but the first draft of the script jesse was written by meg tilly meg tilly and kelly freeman craig wow meg tilly the and actress Yes, and they're both credited as if they wrote it, but if you look it up, it's like they contributed to an earlier draft, and the guy who ended up directing it, who's like the Jesus Revolution guy, wrote, uh-huh. wrote it. Okay. Man, um, they really cranked him so, out. Yes. I'm really interested to see what that script would have been. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it feels positively Diablo Cody Passengersian. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, should she write a, write a draft of uh, Passengers? No, what's that movie we were talking about last Oh, Paradise. Week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paradise, yeah, 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 yeah. sorry. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. That one. Yes, that, uh, that is, yeah. It's, uh, that's, <laughs> I, the one good thing about that movie is that it's a kind of funny reverse faith-based movie. <laughs> where it's like, yeah. But, yeah, that's, I, I'm always interested in, like, how, like, a normal writer, not to say, you're not normal if you're religious, but, you know, like, a, a kind of, <laughs> a, a regular, a writer who's not focused on that yeah. stuff normally. I guess I mean, God, it's me, Margaret, has some kind of a, has, has like concern with that, but that's so much more concerned with like the kind of human practicality. Yeah, of you course. Know? Like, it's about like marriage and like, yes. and, and this girl's relationship with God and all that. 
uh, much more than it's about God. So it's so interesting to see when when filmmakers and, and stars like Hilary Swank like get into that territory, uh, whether whether by accident or not. <laughs> it's just like bummer. Like I assume, I have to I hope that that's something that Hilary Swank wanted to do and not just to like I have nothing else that is being offered. She's to me. given a real. She, you know what? She's she's. It's the movie is literally Aaron Brockovich. It uh, is her like getting caught up and helping other people and looking the way she looks and people on that yeah thinking she's gonna you know what i mean it's yeah, literally yeah. is aaron brockovich for a long time um and it's just so funny it's about a woman helping strangers like a woman deciding like she sees like in the newspaper that a little girl's dying and she goes i must save her i must do everything i can to save the stranger i don't know uh-huh and the way that comes about is just so far-fetched too but yeah it's uh I don't know why we're talking about that. Um, Land of Bad was Land of Okay, and then you saw Cowboy Dolls. How was round two? I I still enjoyed it very much. Uh, It's like a. How did the crowd? Was there a crowd, and did they laugh? It was, you know, I it was fairly crowded for like an app for a twelve thirty p.m. Friday showing or one p.m. I guess. Um, Well, did they walk out of it and give it a C Cinema score, which it got? (laughs) I did wonder what some of the older folks who I saw there were thinking of it because it's. It has a lot of sex in it. It's quite um, immediately like upfront, like, "Hey, old people, you might not like this." Yeah, with the yeah. Um, yeah. There, you know, just with as with the critic screening, there were a few people laughed a lot, but it wasn't like it didn't feel like, "Oh, this is the Cohen Brothers crowd coming out and having a raucous good time." It felt like much like the critic screening that we went to or that I went to, where I was like. Okay, like a few people were on this movie's wavelength, and the others were either quietly amused or quietly unamused. Um, but right. it's—I don't know—I I, thought—I kind of thought seeing it with the crowd would be would have a bigger reaction because it would be a little more of a like, oh, the Coen Brothers crowd who cares enough to go out on the first Friday at one p.m. would be like primed for you know yeah. zaniness. Another but there's so many selection thing. Yeah, yeah, and there's but there's so many different coen brothers movies i feel like even the coen brothers thing you might expect more of a crime thing or you might expect more of a hillbilly thing or you might expect more of a like a i don't know more of an existential thing like it really depends on what coen brothers stuff you're looking for i suppose but yeah i mean at least some people in the crowd were definitely laughing at the at some of the goofy lines and and, silly antics yeah Yeah, the silly antics yeah all right and we'll save the third part for later main event tenet well, that was a very fruitful episode of Jesse's World, and now we will transition into the news, of which there is too much. So I think the last we spoke, Jesse, Jurassic World did not have a director. I think it was it I David think that's, that's true. Lich it was, left? Yes, that's the last, the last installment of the Jurassic World saga, as far as we're concerned. Well, there's a new update, and even though I did not care for this man's last film, I actually think this is, like, good news. Yeah. Because at least he's, at least the movie that that was bad looked really good. And I will stop teasing. It is Gareth Edwards, the director of Star Wars Rogue One. Uh, more famously to me, the director of Godzilla 2014. He did that indie monster movie called Monsters, I believe, from 2010. Uh, and most recently, he just directed The Creator, which is Oscar-nominated for its visuals. And in my opinion, bad movie, very like badly written story, blah, 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 who cares, derivative crap. But visually, very interesting, very well-realized world that apparently was done not for inexpensively. And it was shot on like, I don't know if it was shot on iPhone. Like, it was shot in a weird way. And uh, it's just very impressive, low budget or lower budget than the highest budget of, of these type of movies. And this guy's clearly a good director and a visual stylist. 
more so than Je- Colin Trevorrow or David Leitch, Litch, whatever. But I don't know. Does this excite you at all? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's a cool idea. Like I, I he I, I <laughs> he's the rare director. Um, I mean, just only based on um, the two movies of his. I mean, so I've seen I guess four. He said four movies, or at least four that I've seen. And he's the rare director where, like, the franchise ones he's done, Rogue One and the first Godzilla, I really like a lot. And the two original ones, Monsters and the Creator, I thought were both pretty bad. So yeah. I don't mind, you know, I was, I was like, that's so fine. So you're like, give him the guardrails. Give him, give him the Jurassic Park thing. Like, I think he'll probably make something visually distinctive. I'm hoping for something, you know, as, as it, like, I liked Fallen Kingdom fair amount so i'm hoping something about that good in terms of like that movie was was visually interesting and did some unusual things with jurassic park series that's all really i have to hope for i know he won't be able to like you know uh shift the story or or well yeah so the the way differently but you have to we have to discuss the way it's being reported it's basically this movie's like is is coming there's a release date they have a script by David Kep, the guy who wrote the original movie, Jurassic Park. Not, not Jurassic World. That would not be a sell. <laughs> Jurassic World's guy's back. <laughs> Great. Um, and the way that that's being talked about is that someone needs to come in and, like, be like a fake director. <laughs> They're not saying this person's going to, like, have put their stamp on it. They're saying, we need someone to, like, sh- you know, drive the... I don't know what the phrase is, but like someone just needs to. They keep calling in the, like, in the trades. They keep saying we need a shooter. <laughs> yeah, a guy who can just shoot the movie and not have any creative input at all. You know who they should movies, call is, yeah. is that uh, Mark Wahlberg guy? He played he played shooter in the movie. Shooter. Oh yeah, the, from the 2007 movie Shooter. <laughs> yes, uh, which also was a TV series at some point. Yeah, um, on TNT or USA or something yes. like that. Um, so. You know, it's definitely like kind of embarrassing to read the trades, being like, "We need to find a guy who will not put their creative stamp on it in any way, and will just be there to help put the camera there." Yeah. And but well, I, it I seems like he's accepted that assignment and is like, yeah. "Great, I will do that." I, I will imagine do the, 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 yeah. there'll be he'll have some leeway in terms of like you know how some of it is shot, like in terms of not changing what is being shot or anything like that. But he you could know, definitely he, make it better, look better. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that'll be cool. I mean, like, these are just monster movies. Like, so I, I, if there's someone who can make this into a cooler looking monster Godzilla movie, Godzilla looks awesome. Yeah, it's so it one. looks so cool. It's what I what I was kind of joking about was like, so is he just gonna have like one dinosaur, <laughs> like yeah. that make that he makes look really really big and impressive? Like that's kind of his his deal. Like, but I'm sure that won't be the case because they're in this. It's set in this world where there's again that's where if he was building it from scratch, I'm sure he would probably say, let's do, like, three dinosaurs in the whole movie, but have them look fucking amazing. Um, although, you know, the Jurassic Park special effects throughout the series, I feel like, have generally looked quite good. So it's not even, like, I fear for those looking crummy. Um, but I imagine if he was building it from the ground up, that that would be more his focus, or he would do something like that. Something more intimate, or something more big, or whatever. In, in this case, the, that is already decided, apparently. So, he's, so he probably won't have input on that. But, he, yeah, he can make the dinosaurs look cool, and, like... What are you what are you expecting like I don't know for the seventh Jurassic Park movie what what is you know I feel like that's about as much as you can really hope for and I do think he's someone who works well within those within a franchise kind of thing he can make something that looks pretty distinctive and like stands out like both of his both his Star Wars and his Godzilla don't look or sound a lot like other things in those series I really like I I think Rogue One is largely good 
it just has I, I forget what my issue with it is. like i it definitely is, have oh, problems yeah I, I have issues with it too i do i do think it's like it, it's weirdly become for one thing it's become overrated by the kind of star wars fans who have this kind of original trilogy dogma about them because it's serious they love that it's serious so that people die yeah. you know that's like their favorite thing you yeah know, famously star wars a series built on being extremely serious and death um and it's like it's like it's got story problems that you can tell that it was taken away from him or not yes. or at least someone else worked Tony Gilroy you know kind of helped reshoot some parts of it and I think you can kind of tell it not it's like it plays it goes down pretty smooth but, but again like, when you yeah. talk about like the reason that he's a good the reason I'm excited that movie is the best looking Star Wars movie ever I think. <laughs> I would say I would probably I would probably argue like Last Jedi being a better looking movie in a lot of ways. I think the color in Last Jedi is a lot more interesting, but it is great. It looks great. It's like it's it's very visually distinctive, even when stuff was being yeah. sort of tinkered with. And and the Godzilla movie also looks great. It's a great looking movie. So I do think this it's good news for the Jurassic Park movie that they could have something that would class it up a little visually. <laughs> yes. Rogue One is interesting because the third act is so great and you won't even notice that the climactic moment is them infiltrating a digital filing cabinet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, there's that a lot of That Men on a Mission sequence is really good. Yeah. It is. Um what else do we have here? Oh, this is uh this should have come up in Jesse's world, I'm sorry. Um there's a new Chris Landon project, Jesse. I feel he's, like don't we feel like there's been six of these in that announced and yeah he's definitely a producer and has his name on some other stuff we've definitely talked about we talked about obviously scream what was it number eight seven, seven? yeah scream seven falling apart he was excited to do that and it fell apart and he was yelling at people on twitter about it uh now there's a new movie and it's gonna star megan fahey from white lotus season two which I, who i thought was great uh it's you're gonna love this jesse it's a blumhouse platinum dunes team up wow yes it's a new thriller it's called drop uh happy death day director chris landon will helm the film's log lines being kept under wraps but it's said to be a fast-paced thriller and here's what chris landon tweeted finally get to announce this one i'm so excited to work with a talented group of people and this is why i'm reading this tweet this is my love letter to de palma Oh, yeah. Which, like, <laughs> setting the bar way high. Yes. I think he's setting himself up for big failure yeah. there if it yeah. doesn't deliver. I, but wow. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, there's no way to say this without sounding pretty backhanded about it. But, like, and I like this movie, guys, movies a lot. Uh, but, like, there was, there was not a ton in the movie Freaky. That made me go, <laughs> this guy has got some De Palma in it. Is the I new mean, Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> Just in terms of like how these movies, his movies look. Like, I think his movies are very clever and I, really entertaining and enjoyable. And, and, and To I me, really they're colorful it. and digital. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, that's great. I mean, maybe he's trying to push himself a little. I would love, I've, anytime, I feel like there's been countless movies over the past decade where I've been like sitting there kind of disappointed going, ah, this would have been cool if De Palma directed it. <laughs> So finally, someone's yeah. going to try to make that virtually happen, even though it won't really be De Palma. When you say you're making a De Palma movie, what you're really saying is I'm making a Hitchcock movie. So I'm well, excited. Well, like with more sex and violence. Yeah. Yes. God. De Palma's the best. He is the best. Um, so that's exciting. Lionsgate. This is less exciting to me. According to Jeff Snyder of the In Snyder, friend of the show. <laughs> not, not not true. Um, <laughs> enemy of the show. He's yeah. blocked me. Uh I've been told by people that he's like on studio blacklists because he's so annoying, and I love that. Anyway, that doesn't stop him from getting all the scoops, Jesse. Scoops. And his, 
He's got the scoops. This week's scoop is that Lionsgate is plotting a new American Psycho movie and also showing interest in a remake of The Dead Zone. The Dead Zone is a Stephen King book from 1979 that was made into an 83 movie directed by David Cronenberg that stars Christopher Walken. Uh, It's kind of great. And American Psycho, very great, as we know. American Psycho 2, did we cover that on the bonus? Yes, yes, the the All-American Girl with Mila Kunis. Yes, American Psycho 2, All-American Girl. Is this canon? I have to know now. I have to know what the canon is for American Psycho. Will this be, will Mila Kunis (laughs) reprise her role for this American Psycho, whatever it's going to be? What do we know about either of any of this? None of it, because I'm not subscribing to the Insiders newsletter and paying money. (laughs) So that's all we know so far. We have to just take his word for it. Uh, What do you think of, I mean, how do you feel about any remake when it's announced? Do you feel differently about this one? uh yeah i mean like the dead zone i feel like for whatever reason i don't know if it's just because i like that movie but i'm not that attached to it i wouldn't i'm not as you know eh, about it about the idea of a remake like sure fine you know it's been whatever 40 years yeah but uh american psycho although it has also been you know 24 years uh i just think that's a dumb idea Uh, yeah especially because like the whole narrative around that movie at least for me and like having read the book it's like they turned this book that's like unfilmable because it's so horrific and a woman directed it and like made it palpable in a way that I don't think the book is. Yes. And I don't know if you'd be able to capture that again. We're going to do the same thing again. Like, let's get a lady again. Like, I don't know what you do. Yeah. To make they, it different. They kind of already do, like <laughs> you do the thing that they always promise to do for like YA novels and be like, we're going to make something more faithful to the book. this time, <laughs> And then make yeah, something like, that's oh, God, like, no. disgusting. That, that would be an NC-17 movie if yeah. they were more faithful to yeah. the book. But, like, I don't know. I, I guess I'm interested, like, as a horror fan, I'm like, yeah, sure, crank it up. But it's just never going to be. Like, that movie like, feels like a lightning in the bottle thing where, like, it's kind of just this cast member with this script and this director in this moment is why that movie is good. Yeah. And I, I mean, that movie wasn't even a huge. Yeah. It wasn't even a huge phenomenon when it came out. It wasn't like, a, I mean, I guess it probably did pretty well for how much it cost or whatever. It wasn't like a huge crossover Pulp Fiction style hit. And I know they, I mean, it's, it's a reputation has only grown in the years since. So they're probably trying to capitalize on that. But it would be better, even though I think because it's based on a book, there's probably a uh, temptation to view it as IP as it were. But oh yeah, it would be much better for them <laughs> to view it more like something like Pulp Fiction, where you're like, no, you wouldn't remake that. That's Tarantino's thing. Like American Psycho, as much as of course it's right. recent Brett Easton Ellis's original, you know, idea or whatever. It's Mary Heron's film. Like it's, yes. it's so through remaking through, it, you're sure. remaking someone else's really specific vision of this that is. And really I think good. Mary Heron's like yeah, and Mary Heron and Gwyneth Turner's script too. It's yeah. very much yeah theirs yeah. yeah. Tough, tough call, but I, I think you're totally right. It is just IP mining. You know what? You know what I'll say about this? At least it's not a 10-episode TV series that they're playing. At least <laughs> it's a fucking movie. Yeah. Which, like, the thing to do now is to make your 80 to 100-minute movie a 10-episode series that doesn't add anything of value. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, at least it's not that. Um, I think we may have talked about this, but it's been confirmed that Yorgos Lanthimos's next movie is Save the Green Planet and Emma Stone is circling i actually think i did mention that so i'll move right along but the uh this is big news jesse in our world vin diesel confirms that the fast and furious franchise is ending and teases a grand finale now him speaking out is the first time he's posted on instagram in a long time i don't know if you know about this something we haven't covered on the show probably 
he was sued in December by a former assistant that accused him of sexual battery, and the allegations are very bad and harrowing yeah. and hard to read. Um, so I think a lot of people are like, he's kind of you know, if someone reads that and just you know and believes it, it he's probably a persona non grata anymore. Yeah. But like, it's one of those things where like. Are we past the point of the Me Too movement where, like, that thing comes out and the person's done for? Because what's, what's happened is it seems like the, may, maybe they are doing one more instead of two more, but they're right. still making the fucking thing. Right. Uh, it's interesting. We'll talk about that in a second. But uh, what he said is he posts on Instagram with a picture of Dom Toretto himself. Uh, <laughs> Just finished our end of the week fast meeting with the writers and the whole team. To say the excitement for our finale was incredibly powerful is an understatement. Wow. So exciting. While everyone was heading into the weekend and amped and excited, I thought of you all, reminded of the countless moments when your enthusiasm and passion became the driving force behind our creative journey. Your commitment to our saga has had a unique impact on its success and evolution. As my younger daughter would say, it's profound. <laughs> She's always saying that famously. Yes, yes that. that's classic Vin Diesel's daughter. Classic Vin Diesel's daughter. Uh, thank you for being the backbone of this global saga that because of you transcends the screen. This grand finale is not just an ending. It's a celebration of the incredible family we built together. Hope to make you proud. Now, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, the last thing we talked about was when Fast X was like just premiering. I don't even think the box office had been in the factor yet. But I think Vin Diesel was drunk on the red carpet and said that, hey, we're doing two more. It's not just one more. We're doing a trilogy of finale. Yeah. And it sounds like this is now not going to happen and it's just this one more thing is that how you read it as well yeah i mean i think even before this post there was sort of a rumbling about universal wanting to strip it back down a little bit and yeah yeah it's probably going to be one it's not going to be two (laughs) somebody tell vin no please yeah yeah. well and i think they i don't know if they were really bullish on 10 and then it didn't it did okay but it didn't do a you know huge like the series has passed it's very clearly not going to go back to the furious seven lightning in a bottle like Paul, you know, people yeah. sort of mourning Paul Walker and wanting to see his last movie and seeing and still excited about The Rock showing up and like all the kind of going like it was this all star thing. It's diminishing returns now. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like they had eight sort of came back to their previous peak and then nine and ten are back to where like the kind of regular where like one and four and uh, other ones like that had been uh, two, I guess. Um, which is not bad. It just like is not, you know, that they're not going to make 200 to 300 each time. Um, in this country, I mean, and so like I'd heard, I had heard, yeah, that the Universal was not necessarily that excited to spend three hundred million or whatever it is a piece on two more, right? Yeah, and then, and but then I also wonder how those, you know, they talked about like doing another Hobbs spinoff and like other stuff like that. I don't know how much that's. I feel like that movie was a hundred percent a hit because of the goodwill with the franchise at the time. And the trailer being really good. Yeah. And the fact that people have seen that fucking movie and how terrible it is, there's no way in hell a Hobbs and Shaw 2 would make <laughs> well, even half that much. I think the idea was to do a Hobbs movie with The Rock, but not a Hobbs and Shaw thing, which I don't know if that's... Which, again, The Rock's era couldn't be more fucking over, don't you agree? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think it's probably overstated a little bit. Like, I think he probably has a bigger fan base than like eighty percent, eighty-five percent of stars. Um, but sure, but like, been... there was a fucking time, man, when he was cranking them out, and maybe they weren't always huge like they became at one point, but like they were respectable. And now it feels like he has doesn't he have bombs? 
I mean, I think every it's, now and it's, then he overstated. I mean, his, Am I overstating? He, I think it's probably overstated a little bit. I do think he's like lost a lot of the like even you, you like the thing that sort of changed a lot of things for him was Black Adam, and that movie was like bigger than Fast Ten. He'll, <laughs> like, he'll bust mean, out the charts and graphs himself and show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he'll explain why it was actually profitable. But yeah, that's the thing. Even a one that's not that well liked in a sort of a career herder, herder for him uh, was still like pretty actually you know like he, eh, 400 clearly, million worldwide almost. i mean that's a draw like that's you yeah, know that, yeah. that show it, like him, him because black adam was not the draw he was the yeah draw. yeah exactly um yeah. so i do think he's not as over i mean like the last few movies he did black adam uh bambalam <laughs> bambalam uh that that dc league of super pets cartoon that did fine uh that doesn't count, though. Yeah, yeah. And it's not a rock vehicle. Red Notice on Netflix, like nobody knows. Like, apparently, not was very real. heavily watched, but but and then like the last theatrical one before that, Jungle Cruise, which was like pretty big hit. And like, don't and, you do you think something I haven't talked about enough? Like the Adam Sandler, the Kevin Hart, yes, The Rock, uh, streaming deals. Yeah, don't you like those have to be hurting their appeal? I, don't, I guess not because everyone watches things on streaming, but no, like it has yeah. to hurt their bottom line at the box office if they were to return. Like, don't you like? Don't you think that if Kevin Hart had a movie that you know ten years ago would have made, I don't know, I don't know what his movies make. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, like, don't you think now that would happen and it would make like half that because it's, of it's hard to diminished. tell because no yeah. one. It's it's interesting. No one's trying it. John Johnson is the only one who's really gone back. Like he did a big big stream movie with Red Notice, and he's doing. Red One, which is not confusingly nothing to do with Red Notice, but is I think Amazon <laughs> Amazon made, but I think it's coming out. That that's going to be one of the ones they put in theaters first. So it's uh, he's one of the only ones who like did a really big stream movie and then did a bunch more in theaters. Uh, a lot of those comedy stars like Melissa McCarthy and Adam Sandler and Kevin Hart pivoted so completely to streaming that there hasn't been a test to like. There none of them have like done a big theatrical movie since then. I mean, Sandler's been in some stuff that was in theaters like uncut gems but that's a very different deal you know he hasn't done like a yeah. happy madison movie in theaters um so it's it is really hard to tell like and it's one of those things where like those movies seem like they're kind of negligible often but people probably do watch them and like i'm sure they're paid very well for them so it's sort of it is it's just a weird it seems like it's a trade-off where you're kind of saying okay I resign from trying to have big hits at the box office, which has some advantages in that but you're not your numbers aren't would, watched like a hawk. You know, you're like you're, you, nobody I, knows. And you it, get, to me, it's more streaming era kill. Like it's it's another like bow at or you know them shooting another bow at trying to kill theatrical by taking like the biggest stars and putting them on streaming and not letting them make money at the theatrical box office. Right. It feels like. More like I don't think Adam Sandler was going through like a rough patch when he stopped making no, movies he was, in theaters. He he had made I think part of it was that he actually ha he had a couple that didn't that didn't hit. He like blended with Drew Barrymore it was like his third movie with Drew Barrymore and it, it was one of his biggest flops. Uh, Pixels, that had to still have made like a hundred million dollars or something. Or uh, in this country, it did not. It made like forty seven or something. It was like really one of his. It was like you know, it was one of his probably his lowest grossing mainstream like Happy Madison movie in like decades. Um, the title's really bad. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it is, it, 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 like, it does feel like some of this is probably, you know, in, in a panic, but, like, he had, in a how row. How bad could, how much money can you lose on a 130 million worldwide movie that's a comedy like that? Yeah, I, I mean, a lot, it, it, I probably was, a lot. It, it probably wasn't, like, a, you know, disaster or, like, he was, not like he couldn't get a movie going anywhere else. But between that and Pixels and That's My Boy, all doing kind of, I guess Matt, That's My Boy did even less than Blended. But, like, those three 
all sort of floundering, I think probably made the move to Netflix seem tenable. Comfortable. You know? like, yeah, yeah, comfortable. That's, and that's, I'm sure, <laughs> part of it too. Um, so I feel like it's, it is to some degree kind of saying like, well, we've decided we don't care that much about supporting movie theaters. Like I'm going to get a good deal. Kevin Hart's and as more egregious, maybe as like a box office thing, because I feel like he was still on top. And then he was like, I don't, he hasn't made a theatrical movie in years. Yeah. He used to do, he used to do a ton of them. Um, but yeah, I mean like, and I get, it's the same way that a lot of filmmakers who love, you know, having the movies in theaters were lured by Netflix or whoever else going, Hey, we'll give you the money for this. And like, you can't really say no if it's something you've been really wanting to do, yeah. <laughs> you know, a big mainstream comedy star probably is in a better position to say no. But if you're looking at it and seeing that there aren't, they aren't making as many comedies and you're not getting as big a budget as you used to, I can see you going, okay, well, I'll, like I, what I want to do is make movies. A bottom line is I, I don't feel like I need to support the popcorn sellers so much as <laughs> support yeah. like my production company or the people I'm paying or whatever. So you move over to the streaming where you have more consistent, like, yeah, I can keep doing a movie a year. It just isn't going to be in movie theaters. Um, but it does, it is interesting to see, it'd be interesting to see like long-term, like how, if people now think of Kevin Hart as like a kind of multimedia, <laughs> like celebrity, pitchman, who also does movies, <laughs> or if they still think of him as a big star. There's also a lot of stars, I think, who like Kevin Hart, who like want to diversify their portfolio or whatever. Like Ryan. Yeah, he'll do. He's got like Roku shows on top of right. Uh, they'll Roku do like, movies on top yeah, of whatever else. They just want it. They want to be everywhere. They don't really, you know, care if that means being in movie theaters or if it means being on three different streaming things like, like Capital One ad or whatever. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They want to be a brand maybe more so than than like a star. And I think you can see that with Ryan Reynolds a little bit too, even though he does some theatrical stuff too. And he does yeah. whatever. Like he does, he is, you know, does that soccer show. He like yeah. owns owns a bank company or some shit. Like it's he just owns a cell he owns a, like a discount cell phone company. Yeah, something. yeah. It's just, yeah. you know, so that's some some people are not into the Leonardo DiCaprio. I do a movie every three years and it's an event thing, which is very old school. And, and <laughs> Did you, speaking of Leo DiCaprio, my wife showed me this video that I hadn't seen yesterday. He was caught on camera, essentially just doing a line of blow at the Super Bowl, yeah. <laughs> like cutting it up with his credit card. I thought that wow. was very funny. Jeez. Very funny. Seems to have flown under the radar. Mostly you can find it on TikTok. <laughs> it was very funny. Like it was undeniable to me. That's what was happening. Anyway, uh, more news. There's so much mysterious unpublished joe hill short story ushers is getting a film adaptation from screen gems yeah we got a new screen gem <laughs> a mysterious project from joe hill the son of stephen king and woo, 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 we got gary doberman in the house producing <laughs> wow doberman gets around <laughs> he does this is the one of the the projects on his first look deal we just talked about with the coin operated productions uh zach okel okelwicks set to write the script he wrote fear street part two which i think is our favorite i'm just kidding that movie sucks uh <laughs> and the last voyage of the demeter which i also didn't like but i think you were more kind to um the plot's being kept under wraps we don't know if it has anything to do with the fall of the house of usher or if it's even a horror story but that's something to watch for goat the movie that we announced we announced on the show we have the power. Yeah, we, we did that yeah. uh jordan peele's monkey paws making that movie with marlon wayans it's like a horror movie with a basketball player julia fox has been cast alongside marlon wayans uh that project based on a pitch by zach Akers and skip bronchi skip bronchi is a great name right up there with colton burpo i think <laughs> yeah <laughs> um 
centers on a promising young athlete who is invited to train with the team's retiring star. For some reason, all I can think about that is like he's a vampire. Like it just makes me think he's a vampire or something. Uh. But we will see. Um, this is exciting. I don't know why. Maybe I just saw Dune two and I thought he was good in it, so that's why I'm excited. But Josh Brolin has replaced or is in talks to replace Pedro Pascal, who dropped out of Zach Kreger's new movie, Weapons, the one that's being described as the Magnolia style, multi and interrelated story horror epic, which I am begging Kreger and team to put out the fucking logline so people can stop getting their expectations just blown sky high every yeah. time I say the movie's basically just Magnolia. It's just Magnolia, yeah. <laughs> it's Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh Renate Reinsvi from Renata Reinsvi from uh the world's worst person in the world is also in it. Uh this movie I'm very excited about. We're high on Barbarian um at the show, or we were at the time, and uh I'm just interested to see what he does next. There's a great article in Variety this week. Did you read it about Warner Brothers spending a lot of money? Like yes. that Joker what was the gist? Joker two cost two hundred million dollars yes uh they paid lady gaga 12 million dollars there's a whole thing about them you know painstakingly courting tom cruise yes. to get over there and then there um, and some of it was also that uh, the dicaprio uh paul thomas anderson movie is also very expensive wow now. See, that's that's so interesting to me because like paul thomas anderson movies don't make money like i mean licorice pizza I guess uh, that one probably didn't cost as much as this did, but like, I don't know. It, it is risky bet to spend a lot of money on a movie like that. So. Yes, it is, and uh, yeah, the movies have never. He's never had like a. He, I feel like most of the directors of his cohorts, like age cohort, have had at least a couple of actual big hits, even though they don't always deliver one. Like yeah. David O. Russell and Alexander Payne and Spike Jones have all like directed at least one hit. Darren Aronofsky, even they've all directed yeah. like at least one hit movie, sometimes two or three. And, and Paul Thomas Anderson really has not, uh, but he also makes movies that require a fair amount of uh, investment. So uh, yeah. they and people give it. I mean, that's how it should be. That's how it is with Scorsese, right? Where we're, I mean, he's a, and Scorsese also is a much more commercial director than P.T. Anderson. But uh, you, you kind of hope that after a certain point, there are studios who just say, "Well, we just gonna we're gonna give you this money because we think this is gonna be good and win awards." It's just funny that Warner Brothers is trying to sell themselves as the studio doing that when it, there's always a non-zero chance they will shelve your movie for tax reasons <laughs> and never right. show it to anyone <laughs> so it says they're talking about doing an edge of tomorrow sequel with tom uh the thing that ended up getting announced later in the week is that tom's making tom cruise is making a movie with uh alejandro inaritu yes which is exciting the the bottom line there don't you just think it's tom cruise hasn't been nominated for an oscar since paul thomas anderson's magnolia yes, yes. in 1999 it just feels so blatantly like Tom Cruise is saying this article was like he wants to be more auteur driven again and that's already happening. But like, I mean, talk about the merits of auteurs and who we chose, whatever. But yeah. like in a sounds like you're going for an Oscar. You're yes, going for the yeah. best. You're going for the Leo and the Revenant. Yeah. What what will Tom put himself through to get this Oscar uh, with in So that's an interesting thing to watch. Uh, it says they're also. The new Quentin Tarantino movie doesn't have a studio right now or a, a right. distributor. It's, yeah, it was Sony that has like support might have the edge because they did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but Warner Brothers really would like to be that studio. Yeah, so it's really interesting because you'd think from all the other press you get about Warner Brothers that they don't give a fuck about theatrical or movies, and it seems like they're just being very selective and they care, but in a way that 
you know, is bad for business or yeah. I don't know. Who knows? We'll see yeah. what where this pans out. But they're spending a lot of money on Joker. Uh, oh, let's see. Ooh, this is great for me. Bolsters my point. Remember how I was always saying Color Purple was not going to make money? And yes. we thought that it might because it opened big. And then it was all a smokescreen because of church buses taking people. Uh, Warner's lost $40 million on the Color Purple, this article says. Oh, wow. Uh, that is fascinating to me. Um, so it's a really great article. Just check it out. It says, Warner Brothers spends big is the Variety article. And uh, that led to the Inaritu announcement. Did I, anything else in there that's worth mentioning? I think those are all the those are all the highlights. Oh, I got one that's mentioned in there. But I've had this as a pullout, so I'll talk about it next. Uh, Bong Joon-ho's Mickey oh, yeah. 17. Right. This is a movie that's done and was supposed to come out this year and has already been pushed once, I believe. Uh, Mickey 17, Bong Joon-ho's... Is it, his, is it his first American movie? Uh, no, he made... Uh, well, it's his, his second English-language movie after Snowpiercer. Oh, of course, yes. Uh, Robert Pattinson is in this. It's a sci-fi movie based on a book. So what just happened was it will now debut January 31st, 2025, after Warner Brothers undated the movie from its scheduled March 29th, 2024 release and bumped Godzilla X Kong up two weeks to take its place. Um, when that move was made at the time... Sources told Variety that the decision was made to allow more time to finish the project, which had been affected due to last year's strikes and other various production shifts. The new January 2025 release also allows Mickey 17 to open in IMAX, which wouldn't have been possible any earlier because of all the dates were previously committed to other titles. Additionally, the new date coincides with Lunar New Year, a major movie-going event internationally. So what may have seemed at first that they're dumping it in January sounds like the opposite, that they're actually taking care of it. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I think people were sort of – I mean, I think people were mad because they wanted to see it sooner, uh, which is understandable because it sounds really cool. Yeah, um, I'm interested. But I do think that there's a weird kind of like selective uh, – Oh, they're dumping it in January because the January it's like January thirty first, and also like January has been a place to put like some big. Hey, movies. American Sniper. Right, right. The, lots of movies, big movies have launched in January, and like what it really just means is they don't think it's worth trying to find a slot in the fall to make the like awards wise. They don't think it's worth it, you know, to try to fit it in uh, to make sure it qualifies for the, you know. That that's really all you're taking it out of when you're putting it that early in the year is saying okay we're we're admitting this is not an awards play unless it's like really exceptional, um, but yeah like all the like you know positioning it for sometimes it's better to position those movies with less competition and stuff than to just like throw it out in the summer and have it get trampled by a bunch of uh, you know Jurassic Park movies or whatever. So I don't think yeah I think a lot of people were at least on my, on my feed were like oh no this sucks they're like burying this movie. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. I don't, yeah, I, I buy the, like, delay because of, del- you know, strikes and production stuff. And yeah. the IMAX excuse or the Lunar New Year thing, yeah. all of it sounds like careful makes attention. Sense. Yeah. Yeah, so that's very interesting. Yeah, Warner Brothers, you know, say what you will about Zaslov and him burying things for tax write-offs. Uh, he sucks. Fuck him forever. <laughs> I'm... Doesn't part of you say like? Don't you feel the same way that you would feel about someone writing for the AV Club now, about this? Like, <laughs> like, like Tom? Like, would you feel like fuck you, Tom Cruise? They just buried uh, Coyote versus Acme. Yeah, like, I, I'm surprised that he's not using his weight to like be a hero in that scenario. Like, yeah, why can't somebody yeah. fucking save that movie? It seems ridiculous. Yeah, that's a good analogy on much on a much bigger scale, of course. But you do kind of feel like, yeah, but like, aren't you guys, like sure you want you want to like 
I'm sure the idea is with someone writing for a, a disgraced website, for example, is to say, well, <laughs> I can do a good job and make it better, improve the quality by doing this, even though it means working with horrible, horrible people um, at, the, at the top. So I can see that you saying that with Warner Brothers, of course, like, yeah, this guy sucks, but like, I can make, I can help make Warner Brothers good. And if I can fix him. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, they're willing to pay me. I can come over and like, and, you know, raise the bar there a bit. But then you do go, but yeah, but don't you also kind of feel like a scab going in there and like, you know, uh, kind of standing on the off. carcass of coyote yeah of, yeah of wily coyote it show you know it, it's a great uh, example really of how like sure in theory people are like yeah they, they, this shouldn't happen but like in practice they don't really care <laughs> yeah if like someone else Paul Thomas Anderson's like if you give me a hundred million dollars for my leo movie i will not make a fuss about you yeah. bearing this, this a movie, a movie being, that i might watch my kids in three years yeah <laughs> like, right. it's very yeah. i think it's easy to compartmentalize there as it is as, as it is if you're right for the ab club probably <laughs> all right yeah that was a good analogy i came up with you're yeah it's right. great uh, thank you um i just want to mention there's this like brief little newsletter burst in the hollywood reporter about ridley scott's gladiator 2 uh, with accidents on set, complains about animal abuse, and now reports that the production went wildly over budget, sources tell us that Ridley Scott's long-anticipated Gladiator sequel is leaving Paramount executives feeling a bit like Joaquin Phoenix Emperor Commodus, terribly vexed. <laughs> Initially budgeted at $165 million, sources say that figure has ballooned to something closer to $310 million. Paramount insiders insist the net cost of the, this is the best part, 49-day shoot was under $250 million. Like, that's not a lot of days. Like, that's a lot of money to spend in that much time. Uh, it's a runaway, says one source. It's not being managed. The strikes account for some of that money. The shutdown starting in July cost $600 a week, or a total of about $10 million, until Ridley Scott resumed shooting in December. Though there were reports he kept cameras rolling during the work stoppages, shooting extras at crowd scenes in Malta, where he where he built a Coliseum set. Well, that sounds like illegal. He might get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> or like, not like illegal, but guild illegal. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, um, yeah. But even before the walkouts, Fortuna clearly frowned on this sequel, which stars Paul Mescal as a grown-up Lucius, the young royal in the original who worshipped Russell Crowe's Maximus. A stunt gong wrong in June sent four crew members to the hospital with non-life-threatening burn injuries. Then in July, PETA sent a, a, a letter to Scott filled with whistleblower reports about horses and monkeys being abused on the set, reports that sources close to the production deny, noting that the Humane Society was on set during filming. Um, wow, that's crazy. Uh, $310 million for Gladiator 2, 24 four years later or something yes, like that yes. uh do you think it has any chance i mean i think it, it's, it's possible it makes that much money especially with if the trailer looks good and apparently like the other reporting said that they're very excited about it because it looks yeah. good um so who knows who to believe here but i think with a well-cut trailer and the fact that denzel's the star of it or if he is or i don't know if he's a star of it, but he's in it um i think it has a chance to be a huge hit but yeah it's I'm also sure like an unknown yeah. global upside as they say <laughs> um because it's going to be a you know yeah. worldwide thing and not just a, a thing in this country because it, it, would, it would that would be it would need it needs the global audience to be a big hit that would make it profitable or whatever um it's just like crazy how that <laughs> it went from like oh this you know okay gladiator 2 this many years later without russell crowe like that's that's uh you know seems a little dubious but really scott's doing it to like 
we're spending four. We accidentally spent three hundred million on it. <laughs> like that would make or break for the studio. That just seemed like wow. You know, that it'll need they to put make all their than, chips in. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna need to like combine the grosses of many Ridley Scott movies together to to. Be Will Gladiator Two win Best Picture? <laughs> yes uh, they, i think they, people it, forget that that's a thing that happened that it won best picture yeah especially yeah. because it was the it was soderbergh won for director for traffic that year so it had, had one of those like best picture in kind of a you know i don't know it, it feel, always feels like a little less legitimate to me <laughs> so, yeah, like this director directed a better movie but this one's our favorite yeah yeah, yeah we just like this one more the costumes were better in this one so yeah. it was one this more... one made more money at the box office is yeah often what exactly it like too yeah. um that movie was a huge hit of memories it was i it remember was yeah go ahead no it was, I... it was, besides the director thing it was i feel like it was even that traffic one editing directing screenplay and supporting actor so they were like well this is the best written edited directed and acted movie of the year but just like <laughs> but overall, this one's the <laughs> we like gladiator more the costumes the, the pageantry yes well, sorry what I, were you saying? I was just it was just you know my my memory of it is just like not seeing it in theaters because i was nine or whatever and then <laughs> like my friend's parents having it from blockbuster and like my parents probably wouldn't have let me watch at the time but i snuck it there and thought it was boring honestly (laughs) um but i have grown it's been like a running joke with my old roommate who like loves that movie and i've always maintained that it wasn't very good which culminated in us during covid seeing it at the drive-in in was it Greenpoint? Oh yeah, um, there's Greenpoint. Greenpoint. Cool. Yeah, we we went there and saw it, and it ended up being like clearly a Blu-ray on a side of a building yes. sort of presentation. <laughs> but but we had a nice time. Um, and the movie isn't bad. It's just not a Best Picture winner to me. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. I I think it's okay. But I was I liked it a lot when I first saw it because I was 20 uh, when it came out, and I think I even saw it twice, and then. But it was one of those things where it's like six months later, people were still talking about it. And I was like, wait, what? Come, yeah, come what? again? Like, what's going on? <laughs> we're still talking about Gladiator? Are we still talking about Mission Impossible 2 also? Because that came out at the same time and I saw that twice. But like, you know, it kind of... Yeah, I definitely it, prefer Mission Impossible 2, which is probably a crazy <laughs> thing to most people. But hey. Um, but um, yeah, I was like, yeah. so it was, I was also surprised when it won Best Picture. Um, there's a new, I think it's a interview and like a report from uh, Variety that you're going to love because it's like a Jeff Wadlow, Lucy Hale investigation. Ooh. Um, Jeff Wadlow reveals that they actually wrote a truth or dare sequel. And that in the first one, there's about nine characters and seven of them die. Uh, I didn't want to do a final destination style sequel or truth or dare. Uh, and it's happening again to a different group of people. It just seemed kind of boring to me. So what did he want to do? He explains that the idea was born out of a real-life friendship between the cast members of the first film. They jokingly tossed around the idea of a meta-sequel wherein they play themselves. And after that concept was pitched to Wadlow, he ended up writing the script. And it was called Truth or Dare IRL. And it it begins with Marky and Olivia, Lucy, Hale, and Violet Bean's characters. They're in this scene, and it feels like our final destination kind of Truth or Dare scene. And Marky starts laughing in the middle of it. You hear cut and the director walks on set and we do the new nightmare treatment where we reveal that Lucy and Violet are still friends. They're going to go on this trip with the other actors from Truth or Dare. Uh, Everyone who was in the first film, they're all buddies. And we find out what happened uh, is the writers of the first film had researched a real demon. Just as Calix can hunt a game in the film, he's now decided to haunt a movie in the real world. It was scary and surreal and funny and played a lot with subjectivity. 
and he says it fell apart and the ship has sailed and it will never happen. Oh. What, how do you feel about that? Sad now because I would watch that. That sounds fun. Um, it sounds, I mean, you I know, guess, at least they, it's interesting. Like, it's not yeah, original, but at least it's an interesting direction. I don't yeah, know. like, you know, with, there's so many, like, it's it, the new Nightmare direction for a, a horror sequel is not one often taken. It's really only, <laughs> I mean, it's not a sequel, but Craven did it again for Scream. But, like, the, the that approach to, like, okay, we're doing a second or a third one, so, like, let's make it like that. That's That sounds really fun to me. But, I mean, I also, I imagine Truth That Air was not big enough a hit that they really warranted that. Uh, um, 95 million nice. on a budget so why, of three and a half. So why didn't they no. do it? Oh. So here's what here's what happened. I found more. The actual Variety article, not the bloody disgusting write-up. Uh, Blumhouse founder and CEO, Jason Blum, was bullish on making the movie during the pandemic. Unfortunately, COVID also ended up being the movie's downfall. I got a call from Jason. Would you be willing to move into the hotel on the Universal lot with all the actors from Truth or Dare and the crew and quarantine with everyone and make a movie during the height of the pandemic? <laughs> I, <laughs> I was in and we started prepping it. There's this one cabin on the Universal lot where they shot a million things. We were going to take over that cabin. But I think they started to realize that the health and safety risks involved at the moment and also the cost of implications of basically not letting people leave would mean everyone was on overtime for the entire shoot. And they pulled the plug. So Jason was like, we're going to have to pay these people? And yeah. he fucking said, no. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> so he only, let me get this straight. He only <laughs> wanted to do it in, in when there was a global pandemic on. After the idea of just waiting and doing it later was unappealing yeah, did, to did, him. did not occur to him at all, no. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Uh, uh, it's really funny. Um, so that's a good article. You can read more about it. Uh, it's exclusive. Why Blumhouse scrapped the Truth That Air meta sequel. Uh Really interesting. Fun article. Uh, I already mentioned Tom Cruise to star a new Alejandro Inarritu film, Warner Brothers X Legendary. We don't know anything about it. Uh, Lashana Lynch will star in a sci-fi feature. Jesse, this is another uh, hot package. Oh, oh, good, 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 good. Get on your hot package glasses. We're going <laughs> to scrutinize this one. This is a Paramount hot package. It centers on a woman who uses an AI assistant to optimize all aspects of her life. Um, let's see. Lindsay Beer, I swear I know that name. She wrote Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. Horrible. I think she directed that actually. Uh, and no, she directed that, didn't write it, and she wrote Chaos Walking. And um, I think uh, she wrote other stuff. I don't have it all pure. I should have pulled it up. Anyway, Optimize centers on an average woman who utilizes an AI assistant to optimize all her facets of her life, but soon finds that AI's pursuit of perfection comes at too high a cost. This sounds like a height of AI spec script sale. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know what, I don't know how hot of a package that is, really. <laughs> you think this is like a lukewarm package? I would say it's a yeah, medium temperature package, yeah. <laughs> Lashana Lynch is in the Bob Marley movie right now, and I, she's the one. She's in James Bond. Yeah, she yeah, she in, plays um, the 007 in replacement in James Bond. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. I'm just <laughs> kidding. What if I was mad about that? Um, yeah. So Lindsay Anderson Beer is one of those people who, whose credits are like literally writing Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, which she wrote and directed, uh, uh, and like. You don't understand why she has nine projects in development that are all very high profile. At least I don't understand. Uh, she's got she's writing the Bambi live action movie. She's writing a short circuit reboot allegedly. She's writing something called Silver Sable, which I think is a superhero thing. Yeah, that's a, that's one of those Marvel Spider Man without Spider Man things. Oh my God, she's got an untitled Star Trek Beyond sequel 
in her uh, in development or pre-production. Make that one. Make it. <laughs> yeah, I really hope that happens. Uh, but yeah, like it's just like good for her. She must be a good writer. I don't know how these people come up out of nowhere and have like this sort of. Do you have any commentary on that? Do you want? Do you, is there? Do you ever see a person like Lindsay Beer and go, <laughs> "What the fuck"? Uh, no, I mean. <laughs> good for her i guess <laughs> yeah it's a good for her because like i yeah. just like i'm like where's the credit that makes that explains how you have all this work i mean the first thing a is a lot of it's probably like she probably turned stuff in on time and probably some of those drafts were of things were good or people or, you know gave the studio what they needed and you know there's a lot she of made a netflix stuff, movie like. yeah with oh, which um, one? barb from stranger things called sienna burgess is a loser oh i saw that yeah, she that wrote that bad yeah it was uh was pretty late. well that's her first credit like what the <laughs> fuck like that's what i mean i don't get it uh anyway this is like multi-pronged bit of news here ballerina the john wick spinoff that yes. i think anna de Armas is in yes uh it got pushed to summer 2025 from summer 2024 a full year and i believe the crow took its spot and the crow now is officially has a release date and is done Rupert Sanders directed The Crow, starring uh, like Bill Skarsgård and uh, FKA Twigs. <laughs> this is so goofy that like that the Crow remake that's they they could really they could celebrate the twentieth anniversary of The Crow or thirtieth anniversary. Excuse me, Jesus, where's yes, the Yes, which they are with a. This is why it's multi pronged news. The Crow is getting a thirtieth anniversary, I guess. Um, yeah, as you said, May seventh, twenty twenty four, four K of the crow oh, is coming nice. out cool uh you nice little steel book limited edition uh i bought the crow on itunes recently with the hopes that they would get a 4k upgraded so i'm feeling vindicated i will get, <laughs> i have the got... cool 4, 4k for five dollars I, yeah. I did. <laughs> you, uh, you, it, your investment paid off <laughs> it did it did i do i do that sometimes i also paid off with the oceans trilogy which just got announced i'm very oh, excited nice. about that anyway that's what's up with the crow the movie's coming out in june of next year and there's a 4k coming out in may of this year uh, the funny thing about Ballerina that I wanted to mention is Ian McShane, I don't know what happened. The timing of the release, of maybe the the timing of the Ballerina delay happened when he was in an interview because Ian McShane was interviewed and he basically spilled the beans and said that the movie's like bad. He said, um, he implied the movie's not good enough yet. He said, we're going to Budapest. It's not reshoots, it's new shoots. Obviously, they've got to protect the franchise. We shot the movie a year ago. Chad Stileski came in, and they want to make it better because you have to protect the franchise. So basically what he's saying is Len Wiseman, director of the end of several Underworld films, I believe, yes. and Live Free or Die Hard, everyone's favorite. And um, yeah, not up to snuff on the ballerina. Would you believe that a, 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 a John Wick franchise thing that wasn't directed by the guy who's the whole selling point for me is the direction and obviously keanu would you believe that a spinoff with len wiseman directed i simply was disappointing? would not believe it no i mean i've i've been always been hopeful about this movie because i just like like and arm us a lot and like the idea a lot but uh and it does sound like i mean uh, it actually kind of sounds a little like what stileski did with birds of prey which he was brought on to like make the action sequences better in that movie and like for that movie, I think it worked out really well. Like the the movie has cool action sequences, and they were able to like maintain whatever you know sort of attitude or tone that that Kathy Ann was obviously going for in the first place. Um, 
so you know the the optimist view is that okay they're, they're gonna make the action sequences cooler which like that's is a good thing to do <laughs> like we needs probably needs to have some i think probably it, it, uh, though it doesn't sound particularly complimentary that what mcshane is saying you could also read it as like after john wick 4 you probably you making, raise like, bar, yeah. making like a decent action movie with an Armas and a Keanu cameo is probably not going to cut it. You know, <laughs> they probably are like, Oh, this is our only wick thing for a couple years. Even if they got wick five going soon, it would not be coming out for a while. Then they want it to be like cool. And I bet maybe the continental TV show, not going over that great, probably, you know, encourage them to go, okay, yes. well, let's make sure the movie is like really cool. Um, so it makes sense you know, they want to bring in the guy who does these things to like, make sure the action sequences actually kick ass. Everyone's been watching John wick four at home for the past year and going, Oh man, that part's awesome. That part's awesome. So like, if it's just a scene where Darmus like beats up some dudes, it's not going to be cool enough. So I'm sure they're just like, Making it cooler. I hope it. I hope it turns out good. I I was very excited to see this movie this summer, so I'm kind of bummed that we're not going to see it. But I am excited to see it. Like, it's kind of cool that Stileski doesn't have to direct it, but can still like make the action sequences good. That's cool. Yeah, he'll shadow direct it basically. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, Terrifier Three is now filming. The director has confirmed. Oh, I kind of assumed it was already. I'm surprised it's just filming. Yeah, I thought it was done. I thought it was in the can. <laughs> uh, it comes out October 25th. That's probably why you thought it was <laughs> right. already done. Uh, I love when movies have just can get it done like that. Uh, <laughs> Terrifier Three, October, uh, 25th, 2024. All right. Uh, what else? There's so much fucking news. Stephen King tweeted again about Salem's Lot. He said, between you and me, Twitter, I've seen the new Salem's Lot, and it's quite good. Old school horror filmmaking, slow build, big payoff. I think he said this all before, but now he's saying, not sure why WB is holding it back. Not like it's embarrassing or anything. Who knows? I just write the fucking things. Uh, so it's just another interesting note that that movie does not does not have a release date or strategy. We were told it was, I think it was September 2022 at first for theaters. Uh-huh. Then it was April 2023, and then it was moved off the theatrical calendar entirely there was articles about how it's going to go to max uh, and now i just don't know where it stands and stephen yeah. king getting it behind it might change things maybe it won't but this is a gary doberman directed <laughs> this is a gary doberman directed joint so uh something to watch out for um i don't need to do this one it, hayden panettiere is starring in a thriller for for uh, Lionsgate with Tyler James Williams from Abbott Elementary. The songbird of her generation. Yes, it's called Amber Alert. It's about a rideshare becoming a cat and mouse game. Sounds cool. Uh, True Detective had massive ratings this season, and uh, despite I haven't watched it yet, I'm interested in watching it. I've heard very mixed things. I really did not like Issa Lopez's Tigers Are Not Afraid, but I definitely will be going into True Detective with an open mind and hopeful that I like it because Issa Lopez will return for True Detective Season 5 that is not having the usual big break between seasons. Sounds like they're going to get right on it, and Issa Lopez will be back, and if that show will follow the format it has followed, it will be an entirely new anthology type of thing and not the same thing. So that's just a heads up there. Blade Runner is becoming a TV show, Jesse. Blade Runner 2099. (laughs) Uh, I can really feel the trepidation in your voice. (laughs) Yeah, it's a live-action thing. Ridley Scott's executive producing... It's set 50 years after 2049, obviously, because it's called 2099. Um, that's just, there you have it. I'm not going to harp on that any longer. 
There's a trailer for Boy Kills World, the Sam Raimi-produced dystopian action thriller starring Bill Skarsgård and Jessica Roth. Have you watched the trailer? I did watch the trailer. How's it look? It looks smarmy. <laughs> um, I mean, it looks like one of those things where it's, uh, you know... It will annoy me. It looks like it will it annoy It looks like it will annoy you. I looked like yeah. it might have some cool, like, over-the-top bloody action stuff like that, but it does look, uh, you know... And you uh, said that like a British person, not like bloody. You meant, like, yeah. just bloody action. Yeah, like... some bloody action, in it? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it looks kind of cool. It looks, like, very over-the-top and, like, kind of, you know, maybe a little self-conscious about being over-the-top, as a lot of things are these days. <laughs> It's giving Guns Akimbo to me. <laughs> I never saw Guns Akimbo, but I know exactly what you mean. When you God bless. That. It's so fucking bad. Um, all right. Well, I'm interested in that, I guess. Uh, the Borderlands trailer dropped, which is based on a video game. Long, long delayed movie. Yes. Eli Roth directed it. It's had several reshoots. It stars Kate Blanchett, which is the craziest thing because it's a video game movie and it seems low <laughs> rent for her. Jack Black's in it. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is in it. Kevin Hart's in it. Gina Gershon's in it. Yeah, uh, I haven't watched the trailer. How does it I look? Did, I did watch the trailer. It looks so much like... It's funny, like, the premise is basically... It's basically Suicide Squad. And it looks yes. so much like Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I've like, heard both those things from every everyone who tweeted about it said those yeah. same things. Yeah, That's it looks really like funny. him trying to do Guardians of the Galaxy or gun, the gun Suicide Squad. Um, I thought it looked fun, actually. I mean, it looks, again, like, kind of smarmy and, like, probably not as funny as it thinks it is. But, like... I thought it like looked colorful and like I would definitely have a fun time watching it. I hope you know. It, I never played the game, but yeah, my friend no, who same. did tweeted, "It looks just like the game. Annoying." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. What were you gonna say? I think I cut you off. No, no, yeah. I mean, like I, I also don't know anything about the game, and it does. It looks annoying in a way that I probably would would not mind necessarily. I, you know, it looks like aliens running around doing antics on a on a, on a weird planet. <laughs> so I like that. What's the um, Civil War trailer? Uh, did you watch that? The new one. I didn't. I did not watch the newest Civil War trailer. Okay. I think I got the old one in front of. Oh, we got it in front of Tenet yesterday. Uh, oh, I, I was. I, I missed. I, I walked in at the perfect time of. Uh, right, right the when last, Dune was starting. <laughs> yes, basically, there was a huge fucking line to get in. There was because. There's one person scanning tickets at the door. So at what what time? It was three ten for uh-huh. a three o'clock show, and the line was all the way wrapped around uh, just oh, to wow. get in. Jeez. And the, and of course, it's because every fucking idiot who's an A-lister didn't have their ID out. So each person takes thirty seconds. It was yeah. driving me fucking crazy. I almost just like snuck in there. I was yeah. like, <laughs> "Come on." Uh, anyway, I haven't watched the Civil War trailer, but it's the new Alex Garland movie. It's out April twelfth. Kirsten Dunst is in it. I just found out. Uh, yeah, she's like Kaylee Spanny. Yeah, I had no fucking idea. That's so interesting. Um, I like this guy. I had no issue with men. I know some people were down on men. I think Alex Garland has not done wrong yet. Have, has he done wrong for you? No, I mean, I don't. I I get why the same way I do with Dennis Villeneuve and Christopher Nolan, as we'll talk about in a moment. Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Um, and Christopher Nolan. Um, I don't know what the accent you say for Alex Garland. I guess he's English too. Uh, I get why, as with those directors, there are, I think, kind of more the film snobbier end of, um, you know, movie people are like rolling their eyes because a lot of bros are like, oh, bro, you got to see. He's he's on a streak like no other. Dennis, Dennis, man, he's made seven movies. Has anyone ever made seven movies before, dude? 
like <laughs> this good bro yeah like, and they list yeah. like dune and dune part two as to it's like okay those let's <laughs> guess that's two movies um yeah so i get like that reluctance there are people that really like prisoners all right yeah the, the there are and it's weird i mean i like that movie i saw it at the Ziegfeld and thought it was good and i am still kind of baffled i love arrival i think it's so good but it, it's oh, still a little bit baffling when people are so gung-ho about it and I think Garland gets is he's the next one of those, right? Like the one where yeah. you know the 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 guy in your film studies one hundred and one class is is really into Alex Garland. But as with those two directors, like I've generally liked his movies and they're fun to watch, and I always look forward to the next one. Um, so yeah, he hasn't really he hasn't wronged me. He he wrote Sunshine, which I thought was fucking awesome. <laughs> Never, yes. it's always off left. That one is always left off the uh, from the writer of. Uh, on the right. <laughs> the, uh, the trailers and stuff. So yeah, he hasn't. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to his next movie. He hasn't. He hasn't fucked me over yet. Uh, this really pissed me off. So Netflix has been threatening to like tier content for different subscription levels for a long time, but the first time that I've seen it rear its head is with Thanksgiving. If you are on on an ad supported plan on Netflix, you can't watch Thanksgiving, Ooh. which is on Netflix right now. Wow. So I just wanted to point that out and note that you should you know buy movies that you like don't count on streaming <laughs> it's never gonna they're not your friend they want your money and the movies go away uh so just wanted to note that and the last bit of news i thought was really cool ec comics which specialized in tales of horror crime and suspense and was shut down in the moral panic of the 1950s is coming back this is where tales from the crypt comes from this is where vault of horror comes from this is what was uh creep show was inspired by so ec comics is back it's so cool. I like. I feel like I have to start collecting them. Uh, the first issue comes out in G- July. It's called Epitaphs from the Abyss, and it's horror focused. And the second one will be sci-fi, and it's called Cruel Universe. Uh, as a comic book dork, now past <laughs> or present or future, I'm not sure. Do you care about this at all? Yeah, I'll I'll probably buy the first one and see what it's like. Um, I I it's a it's were you like, a Tales from the Crypt guy? I'm not. I actually I've seen the movies, but I have not seen the um. I've not really seen the show, even though I was an HBO kid. Um, so I really should have. It was I, too scary. It, <laughs> yeah, it seemed like it always seemed like like menacing. You like, didn't like if 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 pun if wordplay scares you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like too the many Crypt puns. That's terrifying. terrifying. Yeah. Uh, my Marissa watched it all the time. Way too young like uh and watch it just like has seen probably tons of them sounds uh, formative yeah it does i think it i think it really was um but i've so i've never really read the comics or seen the show but like i do visit my local comic shop more often than i should so i will probably pick that up when it comes out and check it out all right now at this point i will plug that we did a patreon episode last week that was a long one it was really fun we talked about drive away dolls the new cohen brother film we talked about Trunk Locked In on Amazon. And we talked about, like, Dudley Do-Right and Rocky and Bullwinkle, the movie, for some reason. It's a really fun episode. You should definitely check it out. Tenet in IMAX. We can, I mean, you and I saw it together the first time yes. in Connecticut. We, I think we podcasted about it. Yes. So, like, you can all go back and listen to that. We don't have to go into that too heavily. But I guess I do want to know a little refresh on how you felt going in and how you felt coming out of yeah of course yesterday I mean, how many yeah, times you've seen it this was this was not a high stakes uh screening for me it was more of a kind of completism thing uh because i had not seen it in imax 
Because, yeah, as you said, we did, we saw it in the movie theater, but it was just a regular movie theater. We rented out the theater to see, to see it in uh, August of 2020. Or September, probably by the time we saw it. Um, and I did buy it when it was, you know, on some kind of Black Friday sale, I think. I got it for, I got the $10 Blu-ray at some point. Um, that's my price point for, a, my hope for price point for a Blu-ray. I also got um, it on 4K for yeah, that price, I believe. Of yes. course. Yes, that's, that's the magic price. Uh, although maybe, maybe it was, maybe I didn't, maybe, because I, maybe I didn't wait for $10 because I feel like I saw it again pretty quickly. Like, not that quick, but like later that, you know, the end of the year. I don't know. Whatever it was, I, I do have the, the disc and watched it a second time. I think before I did like a career long podcast about Nolan uh, with my pals and over at sportsalcohol.com. Um, so I rewatched it then. And I, I really liked the movie. Um, I liked it when we saw it and, and I liked it again when we watched it on disc. And I felt like I had a stronger handle on it the second time in terms of narratively what happens in it. And then this time, I, I feel like I lost some of my handle on what happens in it. I'm probably just tired because I've been watching two other movies. Uh, but I really mostly wanted to see it cause I, uh, in IMAX because I had not seen it in the proper, you know, the proper, it's a way that very You, you haven't seen Elizabeth Debicki until you've seen her. Exactly. I want to see her in real size, a real. Uh, yeah. True to form. <laughs> how, how she actually looks in real life. Um, and I know he shot, like, as with Dunkirk, that he had shot a lot. Of, and, and with Oppenheimer, he did shoot a lot of it in real IMAX. So I just wanted to see that. Um, and, you know, if you see one IMAX on your stubs thing, that, like, justifies your whole membership for the month. Um, yes, and I haven't gone because I go to so many screenings. I Every month I go, I need to cancel this. I haven't used it. And so I finally got one in, and I feel great yeah, about it. Yeah, now, now you're set for February. Uh, I, yes. I, for the, this is the first time yesterday I used all of my stubs for the week in one day. I've never done the three. You know, I did my allotment I, in one day. Yeah, that's really that, – that's honestly the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. Cool. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So nothing cooler than being an AMC Stubbs member uh, with time on your hands. But uh, yeah, the coolest so I, thing would be doing it on a Thursday and they yeah, refresh the yeah, next. Oh time. yeah, then then you could do six <laughs> a Thursday yeah. and a Friday back to back, six movies Just in out of days. out of control. Yeah, boy. Uh, so yeah, I I like the movie. I didn't ever really buy into the like this is Nolan sort of up his own ass and like just I th- or if I did, I I really would see it through the prism of whatever review or tweet i saw i've been thinking about it ever since i saw it, even though i should i really should remember who said it but i don't um who called it his black hat and that's such a perfect description of this movie i'm sure i mentioned it on our previous episode about it um to me because it is uh it's like it both describes people hating it and people loving it at the same time and also it sort of describes the way that it is Maybe not as thematically rich as some of his other movies, but the richness of it is more how it indulges his like most treasured preoccupations on a visual level and also on a on a story level in a way that is it's sort of you know maybe it's sort of uh, this sort of an Ouroboros quality to it. It doesn't have the like it doesn't seem to me to have the broader reach of something like. I liked it more than Dunkirk because I just like sci-fi more than I like war movies. But it doesn't yes, have that that like you know um, resonance that he you sometimes find. I think you know the Prestige, for example, is a, is such a great movie, and Inter- Interstellar is great, and I love uh, Inception. It's probably my favorite of all of them. And I feel like Inception is a really interesting movie. It's sort of about movie making, but sort of about just like in general trying to be in control of your life or whatever. Yeah, and. I don't really see as much of that in Tenet or like the, the same stuff that I see of that in Tenet is sort of 
recursive or like self-reflexive or whatever where it's sort of like yeah it's sort of about christopher nolan-ness it's kind of about his whole vibe um in a way that i like i mean because i really like black hat too uh black hat too when did that come out (laughs) we're announcing it here exclusively yeah i really like black hat (laughs) as well not to just get the man heads riled up oh you can't say those words in in conjunction i got too excited (laughs) i almost passed out yeah (laughs) um so I like it in a similar way that I really like Black Hat, where it's like I enjoy that it's sort of indulgent and it sort of pushes all of the the kind of most extreme things about the director's style to a place where a lot of people will be forced to say, "Okay, enough, stop it." Yeah, <laughs> uh, enough. Yeah. <laughs> so I I dig it, but uh, I also can see why people don't love it as much i can see why it's like a little bit obtuse for i i was so interested to, i wish i could know how this movie would have done outside of the because it got such a fucked release of like, i think the same thing like it, it's it managed to make what three almost 400 or something like it yeah worldwide it did it still made enough that you go how do you call that a bomb it made like it, it probably yeah. made its money back or whatever but like especially because we know oppenheimer is a billion dollar movie now if a movie as you know less audience friendly seeming as Oppenheimer could make that money. I think Tenet released at a regular time without COVID could have been a huge, huge fucking movie. I do. Agree. Yeah. I mean, I do think I tend to, th- my, te- my sort of guess is that it would have been interstellar sized, like a substantial success for an original movie, yeah. but not at the level of like Dunkirk, End which did a similar which, amount, yeah, right. but was, was, was considered a harder sell. And, and, and I think audiences really liked it and not at the level of inception, certainly. And probably not, not at the level of Oppenheimer, but it probably would have been a solid, like, you know, at least it would have done like M night doing the village where his name sold people. And then like, maybe it dropped off because it was a little audience unfriendly. Um, yeah. But like, it was enough, you know, it obviously would have done much more than it did otherwise. Cause it came out at a time when, you couldn't go to the movies in New York. Um, and a lot of people were understandably not that interested in going to the movies in August, 2020. In retrospect, it seems like such a goofy thing to do to insist on. Um, yeah, it was. This, yeah, it does. yeah. Just a, and now it has that, like that weird taint of like, Oh yeah, that was the movie that they insisted on releasing like four months after COVID dropped. <laughs> like not even yeah. after the vaccine or whatever. Um, Anyway, that's all to say that I like there's such a, such a weird tangle of expectations around the movie, but I do generally really like it. Uh, I I don't know that I find that much resonance in it, but you said this time you found a lot more because you were not you were kind of oh. chilly on it. Yeah, I was like I think two and a half the first time and like three the second time because I saw it in non seventy millimeter IMAX, even though it was advertised as seventy millimeter IMAX the first time I went, it just didn't work or something, so they digital IMAXed it. Um, and it didn't connect with me that time either. I was just like, yeah, this is really fun and cool to look at. And God, the MVP is Ludwig, whatever his name is. Ludwig Gorenson, the uh-huh. score, the composer. The score is so awesome, especially in IMAX. And I found myself so wrapped up in the movie this time. I, I, I had done the work. I watched the a YouTube video that was recommended in a RogerEbert.com article about the fandom. <laughs> I read the... I don't know what website it was. It, GQ, maybe? Somebody yeah. wrote a really, really, really long tenant explained every fucking thing you could ever want to know. So I went in, like, locked and loaded to understand and appreciate. Uh-huh. And I did. <laughs> I think, like, the movie does tell you how to watch it. You know, like, late, like, I think it's two hours in when it tells you, 
okay, the people that are going forwards in time are blue and the people going backwards are red or whatever it is. It might be reversed. But the movie's doing that the whole time. So if you've seen the movie before or you read the article that tells you that, you can clue into things early in a way that I hadn't before. So like the lighting gives you that gives that away throughout. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, but in terms of like thematic stuff, the degree to which this movie is thematically connected to Oppenheimer blew my fucking mind. And I think it reveals itself, obviously, when the character in the movie set like references Oppenheimer and talks about Oppenheimer creating the bomb. And watching this movie after he made Oppenheimer has just clarified what I think this movie's doing. So Oppenheimer is a movie about the reality of the bomb being made and the shadow of it that we're all forced to live in and how scary that is, etc. And now I see Tenet as this companion piece that's a sci-fi fantasy version where no one's asking, okay, so we live in a world where that did happen, but what if we could stop it? Like, even though it did happen. That's why I think it's interesting, too, is yeah. like the inverting of time thing. Is like, and then he yes, this second, thing... That's even funnier. <laughs> I know! The fact that it's an inverted sequel, like you could think of it that way, is hilarious. <laughs> and like, it took, it took seeing Oppenheimer to retroactively understand Tenet makes me go like... Christopher Nolan, I always thought, was like big brain five steps ahead. But he's like 15 steps ahead. This is fucking <laughs> insane. Um, but I, I, it just hit me hard. Watching the ending of this movie, it really starts to feel like the, th- the theme comes into play about Nolan being a guy who's scared of a world in which there's a nuclear bomb that could go off or something. Yeah. And this movie is essentially about that happening. But what if a person invented a way to stop that? And of course, Nolan's way to do that is... By fucking with time, because that's yeah. all he does in his movies, is fuck yeah. with time. So it is the most nolan thing on Earth, and it's one of those things where, yeah, I couldn't appreciate it at, at first, but now, post-Oppenheimer, it, to me, signals that how much it can, like, it was never a misstep. It just shows how much in control he always has been to me, <laughs> and, like, I just think... We all failed him by not appreciating this movie. (laughs) But, like, I think he knew that. Can you blame people, though, for not properly appreciating a movie where it has, you're describing a kind of feeling of it gaining depth (laughs) after another movie that had not yet been made came out? Because I I think it is a really interesting reading and it does make a lot of sense and it does kind of make this movie feel richer and more connected with his other, with his, like, most recent kind of more traditional, not more, more traditional in the sense of, you know, easier to easier to understand i guess uh, uh, kind of triumph critically speaking and audience speaking um but like and that's really neat but like this movie does have to stand on its own and i and i think it does stand on its own in its way oh yeah I, I do really like it but at the same time like a call forward to a movie that hasn't come out yet like is almost it's almost so galaxy brain that it comes back around to just being like the Marvel thing of like, oh no, this is gonna pay off later. It's gonna be really cool. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't even yeah. see I, the way I think about it though. I don't even think of Nolan constructing it that way. No, no, I don't think. It, I'm sure, I'm sure it's, I think it's just yeah. you could tease it out like, oh, this is why he's interested in that. That's interesting. Exactly. Yeah. It's more just going. I see where him like he's an auteur. He has he's like auteurs generally make the same movie fifteen times. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. like, it's interesting to see what he's interested in come through in a way that i just hadn't seen it before I yeah guess. yeah it does give it give it a little bit of resonance that i think otherwise you might kind of feel like it lacks and i i don't think it says uh you know i think people called it cold even people who oh. understand that he's not uh actually a cold director uh yeah. because it's like that's such a bizarre misreading it almost weirdly flat it flatters him in a weird way because it's kind of saying like oh he's kubrickian which i never really think is 
really makes sense for like Kubrickian in the sense of like very controlled, but that's like any director yeah. who exercises a lot of control over their material. Um, his movies are often quite sentimental. Like, you know, <laughs> Interstellar is like a real heartbreaker of a movie or even like his Batman movies, like are very emotional, trying to be pretty emotional. Like I, I feel like that bit yeah. at the end of um, Dark Knight Rises with him, with Alfred and, and Bruce Wayne is really lovely piece of emotional stuff in the, in the comic book realm. Um, but then I, I think even people who under who understand the emotional undercurrent of a lot of his work were saying about Tenet, well, yeah, there's not as much of this uh, in that in this one. And I would agree to an extent, but I do think there's something very Ooh. sweet about the um, you yeah. know the friendship in it between um, yes between John David Washington and Robert Pattinson. And it's it's played in a little in a lower key way. It's you know there's not a lot they they don't have a lot of chance. But to like, if you're caught up bond. in it, that moment at the end is kind of emotional. I do. It think is. Really oh yeah, cool. I agree. Even yeah. the first time I saw it, I thought that was like oh that's kind of a nice. That's oh a- and early oh, when he first meets him and he get, and he gives him a diet coke without and it's like why does he know to give him a diet coke and you realize yeah, it's yeah. because he fucking knows him like yeah. that's something I didn't get until this time and I go yeah. fuck that's so yeah. cool it is cool and I do think it I think it just what it lacks probably is a feeling of like how does that connect to you know trying to stop you know going back and trying to stop the world from ending like it, it doesn't feel as kind of as richly connected or as firmly connected sure. to the movie's you know uh sort of more serious underpinnings as as it could but i don't think that's also really a problem you know like it's the movie's very entertaining and uh and i do think like it, it does have it's interesting like no one's talked so much about being influenced by certain bond movies and really wanting to make a bond movie and even now has like isn't uh, rejecting the idea that he might make a Bond movie if they could work it out with Eon, which seems unlikely because he wants so much control. But he hasn't said, "Oh yeah, I'm not going to do that." Like he has, in fact, said. Imagine oh, how stupid you have to be to not give Chris Nolan control of like a property like that. Yeah, like well, just I, fucking do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it's also kind of goofy, like that he would yeah. want to make a Bond movie because this did. is so yeah. clearly his Bond movie and kind of toys with the way that with a James Bond movie you're not really I mean the, the Chandler Craig movies try to try to change this a little bit but the, the kind of classic Bond movies and I guess on Her Majesty's Secret Service which no one really likes does this a little bit tries to bring in something a little more emotional um, but that's sort of the push and pull of Bond movies is that the, he is a kind of cold character in the Connery versions and the in the more ones you're not really getting that emotionally involved in what's going on and and it's interesting to see him tinker with that and try to say, okay, so what's, you know, what's the de- the balance between James Bond, cool set piece spy shit and having some kind of human story? Like how much human story can you, can you kind of try to weave into it, even though it's this crazy world dominating type of plot? Um, so I find that really interesting as like, as a riff on Bond, but that's necessarily not going to be the same as something like Oppenheimer or even Inception, where it feels like it has a little broader application that like, than commenting on James Bond type movies. Uh, the emotional thing that got me this time that I actually, like, I guess I would push back on my problem, probably myself on my old criticism of like classic Nolan can't write women. Why does this woman exist to get beaten or whatever? Yeah. I think her arc is actually really great. Uh-huh. And there's that thing early on where she sees who she thinks is a woman that her husband's cheating on her with on the boat and she sees her jump off and she goes, God, like I'm so jealous of her. Yeah. And it's like, why? It's like that freedom that she has to do that. And then when you reveal at the end that, I mean, spoiler, if you've never seen Tenet, but like the reveal that that woman is her and it is the moment of her getting her freedom. Like it really hit me. I was like, fuck dude. Like that is just like no one threading the needle in a way that, you know, he's like, almost like, why? Like, it's one of those things where I just walk away going, 
I can't believe I ever doubted. It's one of those things like I, th- I thought I was smarter than the movie, and I'm not. Like that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, yeah, I, I do think and it's it's yeah, it it sort of rewards repeat viewings, but like I would with the caveat I would say of like it doesn't necessarily invite them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you may not sure, and like and I'm always wary of like oh you need to watch it two or three times to really get it because I'm like you shouldn't need to really like I mean it's great when movies do grow and like and and sort of expand as you see them again or you able to see new things every time you watch it or whatever. But I'm also very much of the like no you can't just tell someone to watch it again like you know if they're not yeah. connecting with it like they're not like that's that's some of that's maybe on the movie or some of that's on them but it's not. You can't just say watch it a few more times, but his movies do like, I feel like especially the emotional aspect of them do kind of, they don't always hit immediately. They sometimes, you know, are better when they're teased out, especially in a narrative that require, that is all about that kind of revisiting something or without necessarily realizing that's what's happening. Yeah. It's a clever movie. I, I I think it's, I think it's really now I think it's kind of come back around people kind of, it is appreciated. I think. uh, Yeah. uh, uh, Probably to a proper level there's a really cool uh, article on the ebert website about um like the hardcore tenant fans um and like their experiences with the movie over the past few years it's yes. really it's like he, the guy uh tim grison i think it is talks to some like hardcore fans and he even notes that it's not like he's not talking there are the people who at least don't come across as the kind of super annoying online nolan fans who are, are ready and willing to explain why you're a moron if you don't get it and like you know you know the kind of vaguely misogynist like uh, Nolan bros they, these are people who are just like really legitimately fans and a lot of them did feel kind of either underwhelmed or sort of like oh I guess that was sort of interesting after they saw it for the first time and yeah. then did go back to it and really felt more connected to it so that's like a neat a neat story when that yeah, was I able to happen totally feel the same way as those dudes um also I didn't notice this until right now looking at IMDb and looking at Google and seeing who she played, Fiona Dorif has a bit part in this movie. She's like a soldier in on the. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I saw I saw her name in the credit and I like, didn't quite uh, I didn't quite hit me like wait that's yeah. Fiona Dorif from like Chucky and stuff. I didn't like yeah. I, don't know. I just for some reason even though the name is Dorif it didn't like uh, didn't, didn't hit, like yeah. yeah it just washed over me. Um, I hope she works with him again. That would be cool to see. Her. It's cool. She's, she's also really in great. the in the master for a second in a bit part. Apparently. Oh man, so she's, she's racking up cool directors well, who I imagine she... see her name and go, yeah, put her in this fucking movie. It's yeah, yeah. yeah, well, she's so good on on in the, when she's had more to do on Chucky and when she's been in the in the those later Chucky movies, she's really very good. So I would love to see someone like take advantage of her peculiar and uh, and she's acting presence. capital A acting in Chucky. Like she has to do so <laughs> yeah. fucking much. She has to be yeah. like four different things uh it's great um yeah tenet's a blast i hope people enjoy it and can see it in imax this week if you don't have that opportunity watch it at home and read the articles do the work see if (laughs) see if it works for you like it worked for me or if it hits you the same way you know like when i saw jurassic park in theaters last year and had a whole new read on the ending of that like it's just watch movies more than once it's like the the lesson here return to things and in different parts of your life and you will it will be informed by that and also your experiences and the and all that stuff and what you know about the movie etc um cool check out the patreon we had a great episode uh we'll be back next week with who the fuck knows dune maybe i don't know oh yeah we'll dune Dune we'll do it up yeah but it's really the real uh, the event of march that everyone's waiting for imaginary 
the following weekend. Yes, the Jeff Wadlow imaginary. Wadlow. I'm Wadlow's devastated to be missing the early screening because I'm out of town. Are you going to go? I Yes, I am going to go on Tuesday you night. motherfucker. <laughs> All right. Okay, bye. <laughs> style. You'll forgive me if I don't stay around to watch. I just can't cope.